Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. We do that on a weekly basis so that you don't have to, but really you should. Rick, you know, when we talk about Bible prophecy and understanding the times in which we're living, really people should be aware of the world in which they're living in, correct? They certainly should, and uh, that's how you develop a proper worldview. We are trying to give you an accurate portrayal of current events that are taking place around the world, gives you a worldview, and then it realizes that those events are setting things into motion that the Bible says are going to take place in the end times. They sure do. Rick, uh, you've got some great questions and uh, thoughts that you want to bring up with our broadcast partners today, Ken Timmerman and Dave Dolan. What are some of those you'll be covering? Well, we're going to talk to Ken about uh, an update on the status of the war in Russia and some alarming comments from uh, Vladimir Putin this week and, and the alliance that he's developing with Iran and China. And then we're also going to talk to Dave Dolan. Uh, Dave is going to give us our Middle East news update. And we're going to focus this week on Biden's visit to that area and all the different things that are coming together with Israel and Israel's neighbors and peace treaties. And it's all very interesting. Yes. And I've got Dr. Rich Schmidt will be on the program today. He'll be talking about a phrase that was used by one of Biden's advisors, Brian Deese, he mentioned the phrase liberal world order, and that is the system that is in place. He's going to talk about that article, uh, that statement that was made. We'll go in and we'll take a look at that. And then R.C. Merle is going to come in. Do you know what they're planning to do with the U.S. dollar, how the government, and it's already been initiated, it was signed into effect March 19th, they're going to control the dollar and they're going to control how you use your dollars in digital form. Can you imagine? Well, that's all ahead on the program today, and we're looking forward to it. Well, let's get started, Rick. We've got Ken Timmerman standing by. Ken Timmerman joins me. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs, and we're lucky to have him join us every week. Ken, thanks for joining us. Uh, Rick, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Well, we'll start off in Russia this week and some alarming news coming from Vladimir Putin. He said their war in Ukraine is just beginning. Uh, pretty extraordinary statement, uh, as were his warnings. He warned the West to back off in their proxy war in Ukraine by arming the Ukrainian government. But uh, this statement that the war is just beginning is, is really, you know, really something, uh, Rick. He says, we haven't even yet started anything in earnest, he told uh, parliamentary leaders in Russia this week. Uh, that's quite quite a statement. We haven't started anything in earnest. I think the Ukrainians... Um, who live in the Donbass or who live in Mariupol or some of these other cities that have been leveled by Russian artillery uh, would find a hard time believing such a statement. Hmm. You, it, and it really begs the question, if they haven't started anything seriously yet, what does Putin have in mind? I, am, I suspect that this is really a kind of bluff on his part. Uh, he's, tr- he's warning the West to back off. He's telling them he has the ability to withstand a long war, something that we normally do not have the ability to do. Uh, He faces no serious challenges that we know of so far at home. And even though his military has performed badly, he has more of it, more of it and more of it. So Putin can sustain a longer war. His economy has recovered thanks to uh, the global 
oil markets uh, with oil at $100 a barrel, even if it goes down to 90 temporarily, it's not going to stay there. Uh, Putin is making more money than he was before the war by selling oil to China, increasing his oil exports to China, uh, India uh, and South Africa. We talked about this last week. So Putin is saying, I've got staying power. You don't. Now, Ukraine, you want to talk? Okay, let's think about that. Think about what those terms will be. I don't see any near-term talks between Russia and Ukraine that are serious because both sides are just way too far apart. Well, NATO and the Western world are pretty unified in resisting and potentially doing what they can, maybe too much, maybe not enough, I'm not sure, to uh, to stop this war. But at the same time, Putin is shoring up his allies as well, and that's uh, China and Iran. Well, the China and Iran uh, alliance is very real, and it is now uh, going to get a a test in the Caribbean, which is quite extraordinary, right in America's backyard. Iran, Russia, and China are going to run naval exercises, naval exercises with Venezuela this August. I mean, this is something that frankly would have been unimaginable under President Trump. It wouldn't have been imaginable under George W. Bush. Uh, it didn't happen, luckily, under Obama. But uh, under the current president that we have, apparently that's not a big deal. The Monroe Doctrine uh, that uh, the Caribbean and our, our you know, southern border are of strategic importance to the United States of America apparently doesn't hold with this administration. I would never have believed, Rick, five years ago, 10 years ago, that we would see Russian, Chinese and Iranian warships in the Caribbean 200 miles off the U.S. coast. Absolutely uh, uh, unbelievable. Well, that new alliance, that new world order, those three countries, and they all bring something different to the table, but they all bring something very alarming to the table, certainly something to keep an eye on. Well, we kind of look at the old order in the world, and there's been a shakeup there. The United Kingdom, a longtime uh, world power, very influential member in the European Union and other world affairs as well, has had a big shakeup at the top. Uh, yes. Well, Boris Johnson finally uh, has uh, announced his resignation on Thursday. The day before, it looked like he wasn't going to do it. And then he had a mass exodus of over 50 cabinet ministers and top staff who resigned on Thursday. And he said, OK, I guess enough is enough. And he says, them's the breaks. <laughs> so he's he's on the way out. Now, what we don't know is uh, right. He says he's going to stay on as a caretaker prime minister. The Labor Party has uh, announced that they would threaten a vote of confidence. Remember, this is a parliamentary system. It's not a presidential system. So if you lose a vote of confidence in parliament, the government falls and they have to hold new elections. Whereas if Johnson just resigns as party leader of the Tories and resigns as prime minister, then the Tory party itself holds internal party elections to name a new prime minister. This happened before in 1990 with Margaret Thatcher. She'd been in power for, uh, my gosh, uh, you know, over, over 10 years and got into a dispute inside the party, was forced to resign in 1990, and they had an internal election in the Tory party and elected John Major, who succeeded her and then led Britain in an alliance with George H.W. Bush in the first Gulf War against Saddam Hussein. Uh, so it's not unprecedented to have this happen. But what we don't know is whether the Labor Party will hold a vote of confidence and actually force 
the government to fall. That would be dramatically different from Boris Yeltsin just resigning. What does this mean in the European Union? We know that Boris Johnson was a strong proponent of Brexit. Um, and I think that there's probably many people, many proponents in the in the European Union that are happy to see him go. But how does this kind of shake up the, the kind of the world order there in Europe that the UK is a large part of? Uh, I don't think this is going to have a big impact if the government does not fall, as long as the government does not fall. Boris Johnson uh, will be succeeded by a Tory who is, again, pro-Brexit, who believes in Brexit, who supported Brexit. Most of the Tory leadership did so. And uh, so I don't see a big change uh, from that point of view. All of the people who have been named as potential successors are pro-Brexit. They are nationalists. They are conservatives. Quite interestingly, there is a former chancellor of the Exchequer, which for us is the Treasury Secretary, uh, who is one of the top contenders to uh, succeed Boris Johnson. He's a uh, second generation Muslim, as are several of the cabinet ministers, by the way, who um, are in the running. There's also the Foreign Affairs Committee chairman, Tom Tugendhat, who comes from a well-established old family, um, and the defense secretary, the current defense secretary, Ben Wallace. But none of these people would change fundamental policies that Boris Johnson was supporting, starting with Brexit. Well, we'll keep an eye on that situation, as we always do with these geopolitical situations. My final question, and this just happened recently, the former prime minister of Japan was assassinated. Now, we don't talk about Japan very much on this show, but can you tell us what you know about that situation? Well, a uh, bizarre uh, occurrence. I mean, Japan has the tightest gun control uh, laws in the just about in the world. Uh, he apparently was uh, murdered during a campaign speech by a 40-year-old former Navy officer with a homemade weapon. <laughs> so just shows you, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Uh, it's unclear yet what the reasoning was behind this. Abe was pro-American, very much pro-American. He was Japan's longest serving leader. When he resigned uh, two years ago, he was campaigning to return to power. So this is a very significant uh, assassination. Uh, I, I don't know enough about the succession within his party to tell you who could come next uh, after him. But uh, certainly Shinzo Abe, as a pro-American Japanese prime minister who was instrumental in the rearmament of Japan, which had angered many people in Japan, uh, his uh, departure from the scene uh, could shake things up in Japan. But the one country that seems to have actually applauded the demise of Shinzo Abe was communist China. Well, we will keep an eye on all these world current events stories that we that we do every week. And we're so thankful to have you from your villa there in the south of France, your summer villa. We appreciate you taking the time and joining us and educating our listeners. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Great interview with Ken Timmerman, Rick. You know, I just want to remind folks, the stories and the events that we focus on are all related to Bible prophecy. When we talk about Russia... When we talk about England, and uh, for many years we covered the whole Brexit deal uh, as England was leaving Europe, the European Union. Well, now, where does Japan fit? It would be with the kings out of the east in Revelation chapter 16. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East news update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. 362,000 people need relief in Afghanistan following a deadly quake on June 22nd. This number comes from the U.N. Office for the Coordination of Human Affairs. The Taliban met with the U.S. looking to unlock banking reserves of $3.5 billion. Nehemiah with FMI says 35 villages were destroyed entirely. FMI has suspended normal ministry, but partners continue helping those around them. Pray this ministry will glorify God. And today marks the start of a life-changing summer for Native American and First Nations communities throughout the United States and Canada. The Summer of Hope Outreach follows a five-day retreat for Native American young people. Brad Hutchcraft oversees On Eagle's Wings, a division of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. He says the Holy Spirit softens unbelieving hearts as Native American Christians tell their hope stories. Ask God to move powerfully in these communities. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ms. Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the portion of our program that we call the Middle East News Update. And to do that, we have our good friend Dave Dolan with us. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to always be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, I would ask you to explain what's going on in the Israeli parliament with all of these re-election things that are taking place. But it's so confusing right now. It's a lot of politics, a lot of coalition talk. So, you know, we could touch on the highlights there. But I'd like to instead this week focus on the plans and the preparations taking place for uh, President Biden's visit to the Middle East and specifically Israel. Uh, What is Israel doing to prepare for that? And what kind of situation with the prime minister and government is he walking into? Well, as you just suggested, Rick, it's a confusing situation. And there's no question in the minds of most political analysts in Israel that he would have canceled the trip had it not been for the second part, which is the real reason he's coming to the Middle East, the uh, summit in Saudi Arabia with nine regional Arab leaders, including the Saudi leaders, very significant, of course, since his administration has been so hard on the Saudis as opposed to the previous Trump administration. But um, he is stopping in Israel. He arrives next Thursday And uh, he was supposed to have dinner with Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Well, of course, he's no longer uh, prime minister, not even acting prime minister. That's Yair Lapid. And he will have dinner with him. But then he meets with Benjamin Netanyahu, as I said last week, with an election campaign starting. Uh, The administration doesn't want to be seen as backing one or the other, although they would frankly back Lapid, prefer him um, as opposed to 
um, Trump, who liked Netanyahu. But uh, they have a schedule for him. He's there from uh, Thursday until Friday afternoon, just before the Sabbath. He'll fly directly to Saudi Arabia. That's interesting. That wouldn't have happened a few years ago, even uh, even if he's the president of the U.S. And Thursday's devoted to the Jewish side. Friday, he goes over to the Palestinian side. He meets with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the PA leader, and uh, then he's going up to the Mount of Olives. And he'll be going to the Augusta Victoria Hospital up there, that's a German-built hospital over 100 years old and one of the main hospitals for the Palestinian population, although anybody can go there, but it's a, a Christian-run hospital, basically. And um, he will announce there, they say, some uh, financial grants for that hospital and other uh, Palestinian hospitals. He'll make some other pronouncements and some other aid uh, things, but uh, the main uh, things that the Palestinians wanted him to say that he'll reopen a consulate in East Jerusalem and uh, a couple other things he's not going to say, apparently. So it's more of a showcase visit, and especially since it's just an acting prime minister now and elections are beginning, um, he'll be focused more on the second part of the trip in Saudi Arabia. Well, I would agree with you. I think that the Palestinians were hoping for many more concessions when this trip began. But it's, uh, I don't know, would, would the term lame duck prime minister be correct? Well, it is. The point is, is that Lapid uh, cannot, as a temporary prime minister, without a parliament, the parliament's been dissolved. He can't do anything legislatively. He can't get any more monies passed. He can't do virtually anything. So, um, but sit there and try to keep the peace overall. Uh, And the Biden administration realizes that. So to make any pronouncements from him, to try to get him, which is what they were planning to do, apparently with uh, Naftali Bennett and Lapid as the vice uh, prime minister at that time, they were supposed, of course, to be in office for at least a couple more years. And so he was planning, apparently, on uh, trying to get some major concessions, trying to get commitments to restart peace talks and these sorts of things. But with a temporary prime minister, Lapid can promise him the moon and he may not be there in a few months. So um, it's pointless and it's going to be much more of just a show and tell. And the Palestinians, of course, aren't happy about that, but they understand that that's the situation on the ground. And I don't think they'll complain too loudly. You mentioned earlier that the Palestinian Authority is most likely going to be disappointed with any concessions that they could get from the United States because, uh, and Israel, of course, just because of the state of their government. This cannot help Mahmoud Abbas's position as the quote-unquote leader of the Palestinian Authority, and there could be his Fatah party could be in danger from Hamas. Yes, the Jerusalem Post had a feature story this week, Rick, that detailed uh, what Hamas is doing to try to covertly take over Judea and Samaria, the West Bank part of it, the Arab parts of it. Uh, They noted that um, Fatah supporters have won three student elections in the three biggest Palestinian universities, including Berzite near Ramallah, the biggest in the territories. 
that they have won the uh, races for chairman of various unions, the doctors' unions, teachers' unions, and others. In other words, they are quietly, not so quietly, but they are taking over more and more of the institutions in the West Bank that the PA has traditionally run. And this came after reports uh, revealed that huge arms caches were found near Ramallah under Hamas control. They've been building up their weaponry there, apparently, for a second phase where they wouldn't be so peaceful. Of course, they took over the Gaza Strip violently in June of 2007. Many hundreds were killed, and they basically pushed the PA out of the Gaza Strip. And uh, the PA fears very much that that will happen again, and they're very distressed to see them gaining uh, these other positions a little more legally. But again, the opinion polls show if Abbas ever allows another parliamentary election, there's only been one, and Hamas won that in 2006. Uh, they were supposed to take place every four years, so we've skipped, what, five or six now, that Hamas would triumph uh, very much. So the PA is a spent force of history. Basically, the radicals are on top. Hamas and Iran's backing them. Iran continues to back Hezbollah very strongly. And by the way, Rick, they tried, Hezbollah did send three unarmed, unmanned, but armed drones to Israel's oil platform off of Haifa in the Mediterranean Sea that uh, Hezbollah claims is part of Lebanese territory, but the Lebanese government is negotiating with the U.S., for a final solution to that. And basically it's in the Israeli zone, but Lebanon will have its own zone and can start taking fuel out of there. But Israel shot down the drones with an F-16 getting one of them and a new Barak anti-missile system based on ships. And uh, Benny Gantz said that those drones were all produced in Iran and probably the order to go after this Israeli platform was given by Tehran. It's just another step up towards a full, actual, full hot war, it seems, between Israel and Iran at some point. Well, both Hezbollah, and check me if I'm wrong, but Hamas as well are essentially proxies of Iran and, and most of the time take their marching orders from Iran. Uh, if you could just update us on what Iran is up to. I know there are some things going on militarily in the Red Sea and diplomatically with uh, Qatar and Turkey. Well, that's right. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Iran's been uh, stepping up its naval activities in the Red Sea. Of course, the Red Sea at the north is the port of Elat in Israel, so that's a very strategic area. Uh, continuing their full support for Hezbollah, continuing to send arms to Hamas and train their forces, etc. But yes, Turkey's once again playing both sides of the fence. Uh, Erdogan's been doing that for some years now. And uh, he is uh, stepping up his ties with Iran. There's a formal meeting going on there. He's uh, stepping up his contacts with Qatar, which is the only Gulf Arab state that has good relations with both Iran and Turkey. Of course, Qatar is also where the U.S. <laughs> fleet is based in uh, the Persian Gulf. So that's an odd situation. He's... Uh, Definitely doing more with Russia, Erdogan is, in recent weeks. And even though he's a NATO member, he's been undermining different NATO proposals. Uh, finally agreed to Sweden and Finland joining NATO, but that took a lot of arm twisting. Then he was in a meeting of NATO leaders in Spain, and he condemned a lot of NATO policy. So Erdogan is moving in that uh, direction of being closer to Russia and Iran 
and less close to his former NATO allies and the more moderate Gulf states with Israel playing at both sides of the fence, as we've talked about as well. And um, it's, um, of course, prophecy being fulfilled because Turkey is one of the uh, countries named the areas of Turkey that will be eventually in an alliance with Russia and Iran. So uh, we see the developments happening as the Bible said they would, but uh, on the ground, it's uh, very distressing. And how um, how um, Joe Biden handles that is any question. But the visit by the Turkish leader to Iran is going to take place two days after Biden leaves Israel. And analysts are saying that's not coincidental. Well, again, as I said, for many, many years, my dad has talked about that. And David, thank you so much for all that you do and keeping our listeners informed. Uh, have a good week, and we'll talk to you again next week. You're very welcome, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we return, we'll have more. Keep it right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. In the first half of the program, we looked at events uh, in Europe and the Middle East, what's taking place, world leaders. It seems uh, we're always focusing on world leaders, the decisions they're making, and that is God does use world leaders to accomplish his will. That's Revelation chapter 17. This helps us to really to understand why the world is acting as it is. Well, this last week, I got an email from a, a, a very close friend of mine who said, man, this is unbelievable. And uh, I agree with him. And uh, welcome back to the program today, Dr. Richard Schmidt. Well, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to our chat. Yes, sir. Well, you know, uh, and I, I want to start out, and I, I, I have a topic I want us to get to that you sent to me and uh, that you think is, and I agree, super important. But I do want to talk to you because I know that your background is in law enforcement as the former sheriff of Milwaukee County, uh, and uh, you're very much attuned to what's going on around the world and in situations taking place. You're on many councils, many uh, advisory boards, things like that. You do a lot of radio and TV interviews. And uh, unfortunately, again, we have a mass shooting that took place this last week, July 4th, on uh, Independence Day in Highland Park in the suburb of Chicago. So, uh, Dr. Schmidt, uh, 
How can you help us to make sense of, uh, again, why people are doing this and why the why it seems like we're seeing more and more of these uh, almost on a uh, on a weekly basis? Well, first of all, uh, it makes no sense. Anytime there's this tremendous increase in violent crime, when we have the massive amount of active shooters that we're seeing across the country, this this is something that, I mean, there is no sense to it. There is no reason that these things should happen mm. what we what we're seeing is again we see the the, the country has been making a, a major statement about gun control and how these things should play into protecting americans well what, what we're seeing though is a massive amount of individuals that have very very violent uh, mindsets their worldview is all about themselves. It cares nothing for other people. And they they just, they're, they're in, indoctrinated with hatred. And this individual, of course, uh, goes up on a roof, starts to shoot a massive amount of people. To our knowledge right now, seven people have died because of this. Mm. Um, over 20-some people are seriously injured. Uh, the report stated that after uh, he basically got down, tried to get to Madison where he was going to shoot up uh, the Madison area. Unfortunately, he was stopped before that took place. But what does make sense from a biblical standpoint is the Bible makes it very clear. Jimmy, we've talked about this uh, many times on your program. When you look at 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 4, it makes it very clear that in the last days, the days before Jesus Christ will return to take his church home, known as the rapture, that there will be an increase in violence. There will be an increase in uh, events like we're seeing with these active shooters. So it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. It's getting the attention of Americans that... What are we going to do? And that's the big question. What are we going to do to try and stop this massive amount of active shooters, individuals that shouldn't have guns with guns? How do we do that? And quite frankly, the government has uh, uh, for years been trying to come up with a solution, and I think we're seeing that those solutions have radically failed. When you look at the mindset of people that would do this, and we are dealing uh, it's uh, and we know it's not going to get any better. It's going to continue to get worse, no matter how many uh, acts or Congress you put in place and how many times you try to outlaw these situations. You know, another question: I how should Christians feel about gun control? Boy, that's that's uh, that's a tough one. And of course, when when I, I don't think there would be a whole lot of Americans, conservative Christian Americans, on top of that, that would that would be opposed to if someone seriously has, I mean, if they've got criminal records, if they have serious mental health right. issues, there are, there are segments of the population that quite frankly, from just a, a, a plain common sense are individuals that I think most people, even conservatives would say, you know, this, this group really shouldn't uh, have guns. Uh, how old should a person be? All these things. Of course, they're, there's so much debate on this, yeah. and we'll just get ourselves into a major debate if we try and figure this out on the right. air, but <laughs> it, it definitely is a problem, and we do know. I mean, this individual in Highland Park that has this uh, uh, major weapon, uh, apparently, according to the media, there was family involved in helping him to get that weapon, even though he had made serious threats. It's just common sense that is not being exercised by right. so many people resulting in these violent outcomes.
Mm. I appreciate your thoughts, and I've never thought about that discussion and having that with you, but I think that would, would, would be a good one. Well, as we're thinking about this and we, we look at people and their decisions that they're making, certainly a heart matter. We understand that, that these folks don't know the Lord. We do know that it's becoming a head knowledge or uh, a head issue uh, because this is the way people are thinking, not only here, but worldwide. And many Americans were stunned a few days ago when one of President Biden's advisors, Brian Deese, talked about the liberal one world order. What do you know about this shocking statement? Well, I'll tell you, and as soon as I I heard what we're going to discuss now, I, I sent it to you. It's like, I can't believe that this statement was made. So I'm just going to read uh, uh, two lines here. During an appearance on CNN Thursday, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese was asked by anchor Victor Blackwell, what do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. All right, so we're talking about gas prices, the horrible increase that there's been. Mm. And here was the statement of the individual, Brian Deese, who is a literal advisor to the current president, President Biden. Here's what he said. What you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes, Deese answered. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. I couldn't believe it when <laughs> oh, I heard that. What What is amazing, because, uh, again, we, we, me and you, Jimmy, and many others the, from the conservative Christian community, we are constantly analyzing the news, looking for things that are pointing to the one world order, which we'll uh, give from Scripture in a few moments why this is so important. Now we have an American who is not just an American, but an advisor to the president mm-hmm. talking about the importance of the liberal one world order order. I I was astounded that the term one world order was used. I was doubly astounded when the individuals put the word liberal in front of it. It, It's just a a massive statement from a prophetic standpoint. So why is this, why are these things important? Well, when we look at what's taking place across the world and the amount of new world organizations that are coming on the scene, it's no surprise to us, Jimmy, especially as students of the Word of God, that these things are happening. Mm. Uh, we look at the uh, the massive increase in what the United Nations is doing, the World Health Organization, the World Wildlife Fund, uh, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Groups, and so forth, the World Bank. These are organizations that are in place, ready, if you will, to get this one world order going. So from a prophetic standpoint, and again, we'll look at the passage in just a moment, this is a major statement that literally is saying, listen, this is coming. There will be a world order one day, and little do they know that they are right in the middle of fulfilling Bible prophecy. Yes, as we look at this, and we've talked about many times, a thought process, a world thought process that is pushing us towards the uh, anti-God 
thought process, uh, a, a one world type of liberal uh, w- with the World Economic Forum and, uh, you know, those that are above us that are pushing an agenda. Uh, and I think at the at the very crux of this, some of that animosity is aimed towards Bible believing uh, people that believe God's word, that live by it, Bible-believing Christians. That's That seems to be the point of a lot of their animosity. Well, absolutely. Uh, the Christian community, which uh, based on a recent Barna report, came out that about 6% of the population actually is what we would call born-again Christians or individuals that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That's a very, very small percentage Mm. point, meaning that 94% of the world, if you will, specifically in America right now, basically don't hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture. So it's, it's no surprise that there's this major move away from what the Bible states and people are instead inundated with, well, the government, the government's going to do everything. They're going to be the savior. And they look at that. Well, folks, and I say this constantly, government never saved anyone. Government (laughs) never changed anyone's heart. Only God can do that. So it's, it's incumbent upon us, Jimmy, as uh, Bible believing Christians to keep propagating the gospel and letting people understand that the things that they're struggling with right now, including world peace, including active shooters, all these things, there's only one answer, and that is we need to turn back to Scripture, have uh, openly evangelize, tell folks that, that there is a way to have peace, there is a way to have uh, a comfort in your lives, and that's through placing your faith and trust in Christ. That's the only hope for America. That's right. Well, where does uh, the Bible discuss the prophecies concerning a one-world global system? Well, if we look to the Bible, the main key passage is Revelation chapter 13 that talks about the one-world government. What's very interesting, though, Jimmy, is what we're seeing, uh, many people are saying, well, what about all the wars and all the conflicts and things that are happening around the country and around the world right now? Well, there's two major pieces to this one world government that's going to be forming, and I'll look at the verses in Revelation 13 in a moment, but the Bible makes it clear that before that one world government really comes into play. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself talked about that there would be wars and rumors of wars, Mm. kingdoms rising up against kingdoms. In Ezekiel 37 and 38, it talks about a massive uh, amount of countries, and it names them, that will come up against Israel in the future. That hasn't happened yet. It's coming. The Bible also addresses the kings of the east, that will uh, come up against Israel and will be major world powers. So we're looking at China, Russia, other nations that are literally named in Scripture. So it's no surprise that these things are happening. But what happens? All these things are going to be taking place. What is it going to point to? Well, there needs to be a one-world dictator, a one-world ruler according to Scripture. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, talks about... Satan, which is uh, uh, metaphorically talked about as the dragon, and also an individual known as the Antichrist, who indeed will be that one world ruler. There's no if, answer, buts about it. That will take place according to Scripture. So this one world ruler, the Antichrist, will indeed 
become a world figure. And here's the interesting thing. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, it makes this so clear. And it, and it states this about this one world ruler. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So first of all, he's going to be a hater of God's people. And authority was given him, the Antichrist, over, and here it is, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Wow. And not only that, not only will he get extreme power over the world, but the world will buy into it. In verse 8 of Revelation 13, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. So it's, it's, it's just uh, uh, the scenario is beginning to come together when uh, uh, President Biden's advisor made this statement about this liberal one world order. That's where folks like me and you that, that understand uh, of the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures are like, wow, here it comes. Yep. The stage is being set for this one world ruler to literally take over and and we don't know when it's going to happen. We keep looking for uh, the rapture, if you will, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior to be taken up to heaven, First Thessalonians four thirteen to eighteen. But this is happening. The other thing that this Antichrist will do, which plays right into what's happening globally, in Revelation thirteen seventeen, and it says that no one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the Antichrist or the number of his name. Nobody can buy or sell. One world economy, one world religion, where everybody will worship this uh, dictatorial worldwide ruler. One world government. All of this will come to pass. 1,000 prophecies in Scripture, 500 have been fulfilled exactly as stated. Another 500 uh, are all speaking of future events that will happen. Based on God's perfect, unblemished record, this will come to pass. Mm. Well, Dr. Schmidt, and I think we could look back through history, through past presidents, world leaders. We've seen, and we've seen a, a system that has been put in place. I, and we can go all the way back, really, to Babel uh, with Nimrod when we saw it, that first uh, kingdom, if you will, with a king put in place, it was all anti-God going against the words that God had put in place and and spoken and commanded Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. And that wasn't done. Satan trying to defeat God from the very beginning. It's gone throughout history. And we see it today, even getting increasing uh, and, uh, and ferocity, if you will, uh, a, a ferocious attack upon God's people, upon God, anti-God philosophy. Well, uh, Dr. Schmidt, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention, for to, for doing the homework on it, and uh, thank you for your input, uh, giving us this information, and we look forward to talking with you again. Well, thanks so much for having me. God bless, and uh, we just keep looking up, as your dad would say, until Jesus comes back for us. Well, Rich Schmidt gave us some very good information pertaining to, and I like the way he kind of ended up there talking about the mark of the beast and the implementation of a world uh, financial system. Well, I wanted to bring in uh, R.C. Murrow. Uh, we have, uh, for many times over the last couple of years, R.C., we've talked about this in a discussion about the future of the U.S. dollar. First of all, welcome to the program, R.C., 
<laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Good to be with you. Yes, and, and recent articles on your website, prophecytracker.org, appear to indicate that a major upheaval in the U.S. economic system is progressing quickly. Uh, what is going on? So, Jimmy, there are two articles written last month indicate that central bank digital currencies are coming soon. On June 17th, Chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, in a speech to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors said this, rapid changes are taking place in the global monetary system that may affect the international role of the dollar. A U.S. central bank digital currency is being examined to help the U.S. dollar's international standing. On June 30th, the technocracy website posted an article that Europeans are vastly opposed to central bank digital currencies, you know, for fear of a loss of privacy over transactions, mm. for fear of more government control of their personal finances, and eventually more control over their lives. Ironically, I hear very little pushback from Americans who are either sleepwalking or just completely uninformed. Well, that is scary. But you also found another headline on Thursday that is getting a lot of attention. Tell me about it. It is, Jimmy. An, an economist by the name of Jim Rickards posted a headline on Zero Hedge that asked the question, is Biden replacing the U.S. dollar? In the article, Rickards pointed out that currency upheavals happen about every 40 years. The first was Roosevelt confiscating private gold in 1934. The second was Nixon abandoning the gold standard in 1971. Mm. Now Biden's plan could pave the way for retiring the U.S. dollar and replacing it with a digital dollar detailed in Executive Order 14067. Rickards asks the question, where were you on March 19, 2022, when President Joe Biden quietly signed the death warrant of the U.S. dollar? As Rickards put it, Executive Order 14067 is the most treacherous act in the history of the republic. A few days later, on March 17th, we posted this headline, Biden is probing how to terminate fiat currency and implement digital money. In my opinion piece that day, I highlighted some of the key points of EO 14067. Section 2A, we must support technological advances that promote responsible development and use of digital assets. Section 4B, within 120 days, which, by the way, is now for March, mm. the Secretary of the Treasury shall submit to the president a report on the future of money and payment systems, including the conditions that drive broad adoption of digital assets. Section 9B, central bank digital currency, or CBDC, refers to the form of digital money or monetary value denominated in the national unit of account that is the direct liability of the central bank. Jimmy, when China rolled out the, the digital yuan, they simultaneously canceled the use of Bitcoin and the hundreds of other coins in existence. And that could explain the recent massive drop in the value of crypto coins. Wow. So are you saying that a massive change is coming in how the world will transact business and it will have population control power similar to China's social credit score? Yeah, exactly, Jimmy. Rickards also said this. Central bank digital currency sets the stage for legal surveillance over spending habits of American citizens, total control over bank accounts and purchases, and the ability to silence all dissenting voices for good. Mm. And he predicted nine points. The U.S. paper dollar will be made obsolete. The cash, your cash will be confiscated or become worthless paper. The cash currency we now have will be replaced with a new programmable digital token. The new currency will also allow total control of American citizens. Every digital dollar will be programmed by the government. 
The government will be able to track and control every purchase you make. This has nothing to do with online banking and nothing to do with crypto coins. Even AOC is pledged to support for what she calls spyware currency that will control social media content that the government doesn't like. <laughs> it's starting now, and it should be in use by 2023-24. Right. Jimmy Rickards does, does an incredible job of detailing CBDCs, will strip away freedoms, some of which Americans haven't even thought of yet. You don't want an electric car? Then your money won't work to buy gas. Don't want vaccines? Oh, you will if your money is turned off. Mm. Like to donate to conservative candidates? <laughs> that donation will never get to the candidate. Mm -mm. Wow. RC, you know, I mean, it so, it's, it so sounds like control. I mean, they're wanting to control us, and we know that that's the case. All that sounds to me like we're getting closer and closer to fulfilling a lot of prophecy found in the book of Revelation. Yes, we are. And the lack of biblical knowledge is a major shortfall for secular economists, strategists, and government advisors. On our website, we have a study called The 1% of Revelation Do Not Harm the Oil and Wine which details three economic events leading to the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 6, 5, and 6 brings the new economic order that will be cheered by the 1%, despite evidence of global hyperinflation adversely affecting the masses. Revelation 13, 16, and 17 brings new restrictions to the economic order that will be accepted by the global elite, as everyone will receive a mark on the right hand or forehead in order to be able to buy and sell. And Revelation 18, 11, is the total collapse of the economic order that no one, not even the 1%, will be able to avoid. And I quote it, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Also on our site, Jimmy, we have another Bible study on Revelation written by a contributor who went home to the Lord last August due to COVID, mm -hmm. like your dad. Mm -hmm. He called himself Centurion. And he wrote, is the church in the tribulation? You know, as always, both studies are free to our subscribers. Wow, wow. And again, that is prophecytracker.org. And that's a great website to go to. I know, RC, you gave us a lot of information there. It's on your website. People could go there and read it. It'll be explained. All those points you gave us about how ineffective the dollar is going to be and the control that they're going to implement over all of us. It's all coming. And I sure appreciate that you take the time. Uh, a lot of us are busy We're we've got our normal worlds to deal with. Uh, and so you do the homework for this and we're helping educate the body of Christ. And thank you so much, RC, for doing that. Thank you, Jimmy. It's just great to be with you and uh, God bless to you and everyone listening. Rick, why don't we take this time to get a ministry update from our friend in Romania. Julian Evermesco joins us. He's a missionary. He's a good friend of uh, both myself and Jimmy's, a real good friend of the family. We've been uh, all over the world ministering with Julian. So, Julian, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. It's good to be back. Well, uh, Julian, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here is just to get a quick update. Now, we know Ukraine borders Romania, and we know that you have, in addition yeah. to your camping ministry that you hold there uh, for the youth in Romania, uh, you have really been uh, working with refugees. Could you give us an update on that ministry? Yeah, we uh, the moment we uh, the war started, uh, we saw refugees coming into Romania, and uh, we could not help but uh, wonder, you know, uh, what God wants us. And obviously, the answer was uh, very clear: go and make disciples. So this was basically an opportunity for us to to minister to them. So we we welcomed them. We 
provided uh, our home church and uh, many ministry uh, partners from Romania. We provided uh, housing for them. Even right now, we are purchasing trailers because we have uh, Ukrainian refugees moving into Romania, and uh, we are trying to put them on the property we have where we have our offices. There is a parking lot where we uh, we want to buy like uh, 40 trailers and basically host at least uh, 40 uh, Ukrainian refugees. So. That's one of the things that we've been doing, but also I was able to go seven times into Ukraine and uh, take uh, medication, uh, uh, clothes, uh, food, uh, uh, diapers, baby food, uh, you name it, and uh, uh, taking to Ukraine with uh, our van and two vans for our crew from Campus Crusade that we partner with. And even tonight, I, I wasn't able to go, but my friend Marius, uh, that I, usually I go with him to Ukraine. Uh, he's leaving in a few hours to Ukraine. I, I stayed home because we have a conference with our church that I, I'm part of it, and I had to stay home this uh, weekend. But he's leaving with uh, with lots of uh, medicine that we've been uh, purchasing and uh, with two vans. So we praise God that he's able to, to go and another guy to, uh, to help him. So this is a blessing. So basically we... We help the refugees as they are coming to Romania. We also minister to the ones that stay home. Uh, and also, we are bringing refugees from the border. When we come back with the vans empty, we pick up refugees and we bring them into uh, Bucharest, where we are able to find them a, a place to stay, like housing. Thank you for sharing, and thank you for what you and your ministry are doing there, Julian. Thank you, Rick, for having me. And again, it's uh, it's a privilege to be able just to be part of this and uh, to share what God is doing in Eastern Europe. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Really, understanding Bible prophecy, one third of God's word, helps us to understand why the world is acting as it is. And I'm, I'm sure if you just listened to the last hour, you're going to be fascinated with how quickly all the pieces, uh, the stage is being set, as Rick said in the first, in our opening segment, the stage is being set, all the props and pieces are being moved into place in order for that final curtain to go up, which would be the rapture of the church. Rick, tell us about what people can find on our website. Well, Jimmy, we are so grateful for all the listeners that we have on the program, and we continue to encourage you to come back here and listen to us every week. But if you want to engage deeper with the Prophecy Today ministry, you can go to our website at prophecytoday.com. One of the things that we'll be doing over the next several programs, and I think we're going to make it a regular feature, is a Prophecy Q&A. Now, we do have our guests on here, and sometimes we might ask those guest questions, or you and I will discuss those questions ourselves. So if you could, go to our website, get those questions in. You can also call our office, 423-825-6247, and we're going to be asking those questions on the air. Let us know where you are listening to us at as well, what radio station you're listening to. We are very grateful and appreciative of everybody who goes to our bookstore and who supports our ministry. Yes, and that's prophecytoday.com. Well, this week, as we continue the Legacy Series, we're still in Alpha and Omega, and we're still looking at the city of Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon. 
2,500 years ago, Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took uh, that final wave with Ezekiel and 10,000 other Jews, carried them away to Babylon. Of course, they were there for 70 years, carried away into captivity and then released. That was the times of the Gentiles. Well, this week we're going to start in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 36. So if you get your Bible, turn there. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our teacher this week on our Legacy Series, will give us more instruction about ancient Babylon and what Babylon will be in the future. Start here in verse 18 of 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all of these were brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and they break down the walls of Jerusalem, and burned all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away into Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And so it was that Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He takes all the vessels, all the vessels that were used, dedicated for the services at the temple, takes them back, puts them in his temple, burns down the city, burns down the temple, kills a third of the people, takes the other third into the captivity. 586 B.C. That's the Babylonian captivity. Go with me across the page. You've got the book of Second Chronicles 36 in your Bible. Look across the page. Look what happened. At the time the Babylonian Empire fell, Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled. 150 years before the fall of the Babylonian Empire, Isaiah in chapters 44 and 45 wrote about the Babylonian Empire coming to its end and that there would be a leader who would come to power and his name would be Cyrus. Hello? Look what it says here in verse 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so it is that God is going to fulfill the prophecy by Isaiah that I'm going to raise a man up named Cyrus. He will allow the Jews to go back into the land, and they will be able to build their temple. Chapter 2 is the record of about 50,000 Jews. To be exact, 49,897 Jews will be led by Zerubbabel and Joshua. And they will go into the city of Jerusalem and build their temple. That's not when they are going to be there building the walls of the city. Nehemiah is going to do that later. A number of years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. This is they go back. It takes them about 25 years. So the Babylonian Empire falls in 539. About 515 B.C. they build the temple. Go to chapter 6. In chapter 6 of the book of Ezra, they have a dedicatory service. Chapter 6. Now this is about 25 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. But it's going to be about another 50 years and they're going to raise up a man named Ezra, a scribe, to go back and reinstitute the temple practices. Go to chapter 7. Chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. All I'm doing is reading the word of God. I'm showing you what happened. Babylon the empire fell. Babylon the city did not fall. Ezra chapter 7 verse 6. Thus Ezra went up from Babylon. 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon was well and operating. Verse 9, and upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon 
Ezra will go to Jerusalem from Babylon. Babylon's alive and well. 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Hey, did you ever read about Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great, the Grecian leader, who at 21 years of age took a ragtag military operation, and in 11 years, by the time he was 32 years old, he had conquered the known world. Do you know where he was headquartered? Babylon. He died at 32 years of age of syphilis in the city of Babylon. But before he did that, the city was a mighty city in the world. He opened up the Euphrates River so 500 gunships could make their way from the Persian Gulf up to Babylon and be docked there. That's 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. And Babylon is alive and well operating. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 5 and verse, uh, Acts chapter 2 rather, and verse 5, in Acts 2, 5, there were Jews from every nation of the world. And when the Holy Spirit of God came down and baptized those Jewish believers into the body of Christ, guess what happened? They spoke in languages, not unknown tongues. There's no such thing as unknown tongues in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, the people there recognized the languages that were being spoken. And you study the languages. Most of them were the Chaldean region of the world. Babylonians had come from Babylon to Jerusalem. as one of the Jewish pilgrim feast days. Pentecost. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter, on that day of Pentecost, 10 days earlier... Jesus had told the disciples, start here in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Peter was obedient. On the day of Pentecost, he preached and thousands, at least 5,000 we know, got saved on that day of Pentecost. Then he went to Judea and Samaria. And then he said, I've got to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me tell you something, friends. He did not go to Rome. Do you hear me? He did not go to Rome. That's to the west of Jerusalem. He went to the east of Jerusalem. How do I know? He started a church in a place called Babylon. You got 1 Peter? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. And the church that is in Babylon elect together with you, salute you. He went to Babylon. At the time of Peter's life, Babylon was the second most populated Jewish city in the world. And so he went there and he started a church. This word Babylon here is not a cryptic word for Rome. Did anybody ever think that Peter was ever cryptic in anything he had to say? Not one time. That was not Peter. And this is the literal word of God. We don't put in what we think it means. We put in what it says and we translate it that way. He never was in Rome. He's not buried in Rome. He's buried in Jerusalem. And he started the church in Babylon. And by the way, that's 500 years. After the fall of the Babylonian Empire, and it's still alive and well. I have an article from CNN which said the United States military is going to have to pay $800,000 because those U.S. soldiers went into Babylon, the city of Babylon, never been destroyed, not like it was in its heyday, but about to be rebuilt, and they messed it up. They put Camp Alpha there. It was a multinational military base. They messed up the location where Nebuchadnezzar had his hanging gardens. They tore down half of the Ishtar gate. Saddam Hussein thought he was the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar. Have you ever seen that picture of his face superimposed over the face of Nebuchadnezzar? He believed that God had brought him into existence as the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. 
to go to Jerusalem and take it out. He spent $500 million, half a billion dollars in refurbishing Babylon. He put up the Ishtar Gate, the ones that they tore down. He advertised in the USA Day newspaper, US Today newspaper, I got the article. He said, I'll give a million dollars who can, somebody can tell me how they put the hanging gardens up. Babylon has never been destroyed. Babylon, it's alive and well. Do you know the prime minister of Iraq, Prime Minister Maliki? You know where he was born? Babylon! It's not been destroyed. It has to be destroyed. Chapter 50 of Jeremiah. Chapter 50 of Jeremiah. Let me show you what Jeremiah the prophet had to say. By the way, parallel passages in chapters 50 and 51 with Isaiah 13 and 14. Isaiah 13 and 14. Jeremiah 50. Notice what it says here. Verse 1. The word that the Lord spake against Babylon, against the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet. Go to verse 13. Because of the wrath of the Lord, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at her plagues. Look over here in verse 39. Therefore the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of the islands uh, shall dwell there, and the owl shall dwell therein, and it shall no more be inhabited forever. That word is olam. It's the same word in the name of God, el olam, which talks about the eternality of God. When you pull out that word from God's name, that's how long it's going to be. Forever, as long as God is. Nobody's going to inhabit it forever. There's people living there today. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Look at verse 40. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there. Neither shall any man, son of man, dwell therein. Go to chapter 51, verse 29. Chapter 51. Verse 29, and the land shall tremble and sorrow for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. Look at verse 37, verse 37, and Babylon shall become heaps and a dwelling place for dragons and astonishment, a hissing without an inhabitant. Verse 43, her cities are a desolation, a dry land and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. Verse 62, uh, thou shalt th- uh, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against the place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. I've given you seven proof texts. Babylon has to be destroyed. No man ever lived there, never been rebuilt, nothing. That prophecy's never been fulfilled. Why does the prophecy need to be fulfilled? Why is God going to destroy Babylon? Look back in chapter 50, verse 28. Chapter 50, verse 28. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. The vengeance of the Lord God. The vengeance of his temple. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He wiped out the temple. He took all the vessels and desecrated them. God's going to deal with the Iraqi people, the Babylonian people. You're going to be wiped out as if they'd never been. Look over here in chapter 51, verse 11. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes for his devices against Babylon to destroy it. Because it's the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. The, the, the spirit of the Medes. Do you know who the Medes of the Medes and the Persians are? The Persians are the people of Iran today. They still speak, speak Persian. You know who the Medes are? Listen. The Medes are the... Kurdish people of northern Iraq, eastern Turkey, 
Western Iran, the Kurdish people, they're the Medes. Oh, by the way, when Saddam Hussein was slaughtering people, the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, documented that Saddam gassed 250,000 Kurds. And God says, raise up the spirit of the Medes to take out Babylon. Babylon will be destroyed. Indeed, Babylon the city will be destroyed in the future, at a time when it has become the economic capital of this world, under the leadership of the Antichrist. That's Revelation 18. We're not there yet, but in our next study, we'll see how that all plays out. My friend, we're quickly approaching the time of the fulfillment of this prophetic scenario related to the city of Babylon. Be sure to join us next time to see how God's plan will work out. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have a special update on the Dead Sea from David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. 362,000 people need relief in Afghanistan following a deadly quake on June 22nd. This number comes from the UN Office for the Coordination of Human Affairs. The Taliban met with the U.S. looking to unlock banking reserves of $3.5 billion. Nehemiah with FMI says 35 villages were destroyed entirely. FMI has suspended normal ministry, but partners continue helping those around them. Pray this ministry will glorify God. And today marks the start of a life-changing summer for Native American and First Nations communities throughout the United States and Canada. The Summer of Hope Outreach follows a five-day retreat for Native American young people. Brad Hutchcraft oversees On Eagle's Wings, a division of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. He says the Holy Spirit softens unbelieving hearts as Native American Christians tell their hope stories. Ask God to move powerfully in these communities. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, man, when we look at today's program, seems like we're focusing on, number one, world leaders, the moves that they're making, the decisions that they're making, how they are falling right into Bible prophecy, the future 
prophecies. And we know that there are no other prophecies to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. So this means the decisions that they're making today are setting up and we're getting so close to the rapture. So we're looking at world leaders making those decisions. And there's a financial situation that R.C. Merle brought to the table. When you look at this, I mean, when you look at these world leaders, you look at the financial situation and uh, you've got your background in finances. What are your thoughts as you, if you were to talk to someone, uh, maybe a workout partner, what would you want to tell them about where we are on God's timetable? Well, obviously we are closer to the end time scenario taking place than we've ever been in history, but uh, the, the Bible gives us enough of that end time scenario that things that are taking place now in the financial world, alliances that are um, being brought together, you know, the, 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 we've, some of our broadcast partners always talk about following the money, following the money to see what's going to happen, the trade of oil around the world. Mm. All these things are coming together in a way that has never been like this in history before. You talk about the, uh, the economic partnership now with Iran, Russia, and China that Ken Timmerman talked about. Uh, these things are creating alliances that are really that that economic component is stronger than the military component, it seems like. Well, you know, the, the thing that struck me was that there's a thought process in our, in our world leaders with Vladimir Putin making his declaration and, and what he is going to do if the world attacks. He's going to attack. I mean, this is a world war he's talking about. I mean, a worldwide world war. When you look at President Joe Biden making his decisions on uh, using a mindset of a liberal world order coming into place that Dr. Rich Schmidt talked about, and then really what he has in trying to control people with finances, he's really is hitting us uh, and trying to control, and people are going to have to make decisions on how to be prepared for the future. One of the things that I wanted to finish up with today, Rick, and I want to bring Dave Dolan back in here. Rick, uh, I sent you a, an article on the Dead Sea, and it's something that we covered in the past. I want to bring Dave Dolan back in here. And just uh, ask Dave what his thoughts are on the Dead Sea. Well, Dave, I've got this article. Jimmy and I wanted you to take a look at it. You have a lot of experience in Israel. You lived there for 30 years, and you saw the effect of what's taking place on the Dead Sea. Can you talk about it a little bit and its importance? Well, it's sad to see it. First of all, when I moved to Israel in 1980, there was still a decent flow down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. Now it's just a trickle. In fact, my niece's husband, who's a U.S. Air Force pilot, was just there on official business. He visited the baptismal down at the north end of the Dead Sea, and he said his toes got wet. That was about it. It's being depleted. Proposals have come up, Rick, to very... A workable proposals have come up from Israel with Jordan involved to um, not only save it from shrinking any further, and as you say, it's it's down over a hundred feet from what it was when I moved there, and the shoreline, as you said, is way out now, um, and that is the Med Dead Canal or the Red Dead Canal. One proposal to bring water from the Red Sea past a lot in Aqaba up the um, valley there to the Dead Sea, of course, the lowest place on Earth, so it would flow down from the sea level of the Red Sea. And the same would be true of any water from the Mediterranean Sea to the west. That would be a much shorter canal, much shorter, much easier, much uh, less expensive to build, and again, bring water from there down into the Dead Sea. But 
politics. Jordan was for it at once and then turned against it after Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood and others objected. And the one from the Mediterranean would have to go somewhere near Gaza. And of course, that could be a strategic target to bomb and those sorts of things. So it's never gotten off the ground. And meanwhile, the shrinkage continues. It's mostly natural. It's the hottest, one of the hottest places on earth in the summers. And a lot of it's just natural shrinkage. If it's not getting that former resupply from uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount Hermon area in the north and Jordan River, and that water has been diverted basically uh, to agriculture, to industries, and that some of it goes to Jordan, most goes to Israel. And as I said, just a trickle gets down to the Dead Sea anymore. It's a real shame, and uh, I'm hoping a solution will come, or else, as they're saying, the Dead Sea will literally be dead. It will just disappear. It will just be history. Well, we want to thank Dave for that report, and we've had a lot of very serious reports on the program, and even that report was serious Mm -hmm. as it talks about the way the Dead Sea is disappearing. But, Jimmy, we want to end this program on a positive note because the the Bible does provide hope, and it does tell us that there's going to be a solution to this problem in the future. Yes, it sure does. The last chapters of the book of Ezekiel talks about that living water that will flow from the temple. And the temple in the city of Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, flows down through the Kidron Valley all the way down that 25 miles to the Dead Sea, where the sea, the Dead Sea will come to life again. Uh, when you look at that, there are two ways to look at it. That's the positive aspect of it. That's going to be that, that whole Dead Sea, the largest body of, of salt water, the lowest body of salt water on the earth that will come back to life, and people, the fishermen, will be fishing from there. But again, as we look at it, we do see that this could be, when you look at what's in the bottom of the Dead Sea, what's there, what could be dredged up, the gold and silver that has been flowing down in there, maybe that's the gold and silver that's talked about in Ezekiel 38, that spoil that the armies of the world come for. Well, could be that that's what they're going to be dividing up in the future. Thanks for bringing that, Rick. Uh, it's always, uh, you know, we see the Dead Sea every time we're there. We spend uh, quite a bit of time around it. It is good to have that uh, understanding and where we are. And really, again, to see how world events, events around the world are shaping up for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And it doesn't happen until after the rapture of the church. Great program today, Rick. Thank you. There was so much to cover. I suggest people go to our website. They can listen to the program again, dissect it, uh, take notes, and be able to teach it to your classes, to your church, to your body of influence, people that you influence on a daily basis. Rick, thanks a lot for joining with me on the program today. So excited to end on a positive note as we look at the future where in the Millennial Kingdom, where that problem of the Dead Sea will be solved. Well, thank you, Jimmy, and this great program today. Well, folks, as always, let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.